You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. Hear what you've been missing. Audix is proud to introduce the new line of dynamic closed-back headphones designed for audio professionals and audiophiles to deliver the most accurate sound possible. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Welcome back to the Signal and Noise podcast. Uh, that's unfortunately all we're going to be hearing from the bass voiced Chris Leonard this evening. Aww. I know he's, he's got like extra te- testosterone. Like, where do you get extra testosterone? <laughs> well, it's kind of a wash because I, you know, I have the uh, Aladdin voice going on over here, so I think it kind of balances out. I burned um, all mine out in my thirties. I think that's why my hair's gone. And... I saw the signal coming from your uh, machine there, Michael, and I was like. Did he just switch on the radio voice? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have very sophisticated technology here at Signal Noise Podcast, and uh, we're joined uh, this evening, first of all, by uh, by the fabulous Willa Snow. She's Yay, here once again. Hello, Willa. Hello, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> Does this make up for, for Chris not being here? I hope so. Hi, guys. We into a real bad Adam Sandler movie. We just talk like that the entire time and think it's okay. <laughs> Shit, I'll try to do it that way. <laughs> Don't drop character. It's like Tropic Thunder. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> and Willow worked a gig, and we want to we want to talk about that a little bit. But also, our our guest this episode, Mr. Ashton Parsons, hey. um, who I saw on YouTube doing a really cool um, seminar on mixing IMs, and he mixes IMs for Disturbed. And Chris is really bummed that. He couldn't be with us this episode because Chris has also uh, done some touring work with with them. Oh, no, um, so maybe we can talk about that more in the future. But uh, I'm sure he's dropped some sweet knowledge bombs on us. Ashton, thanks for being with us, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my tribute there. <laughs> See, Chris Chris is sorely missed. Uh, but, but it sounds like we have a few options uh, to replace him if we ever have to. So <laughs> Amazing. Um, Hi guys, thanks so, for having me. Chris Leonard tryout. <laughs> Can we do that like a mix off, like you guys do all the time? The Chris, yeah. Leonard everybody, tryout. send us send us your best signal to noise uh, podcast intro monologue, and uh, whoever wins gets to replace Chris for an episode. I think that's fun. That'd be a good idea. That's a right? great that's idea. I'm into this. So, um, Ashton, I. I I want to dig into a lot of what you talk a little bit about in your video. And I think we'll put the link of that uh, in the description of this podcast. so People can check it out. Um, sort of that kind of, you know, it's like a, a ballet, uh, how to get your artists comfortable on in-ears and how to understand what they need. And Will has been um, recently transitioning with the artists that she's working with to get her comfortable on in-ears. And so I figured, you know, it's a good time to, to talk about this and um, we can get we get a good dialogue going. So, uh, I mean, Willa, do you do you have anything off the top of your head that you want to ask, or should we should we just jump in here? Let's just jump in. It's such a it's such a huge topic. And it's such a nuanced thing as well, and it just it really depends on the relationship between artist and engineer. So, I'm really eager to hear uh, what Ashton has to say on the on the topic. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you nailed it right there. It's definitely like a balancing act. It's all about. Um, you know, talking 
to your artist and finding out and sort of decoding what they want and you know part of part of mixing ears uh, monitors and ears especially is sort of like being like a psychologist in a lot of ways you have to kind of or even a mind reader you have to kind of once you once you get to that point of knowing what your artist is comfortable with it's a matter of like jumping ahead like five steps you know if something changes during the show or you know microphone moves you need to notice it before they notice it definitely miss cleo dude i always say miss yeah. cleo yeah i i i think i like that and i also you know there's an element here that your otters will know when they're not comfortable uh, immediately they'll but they don't always know why they're not comfortable and and bridging that gap i think can be something that can be a challenge you know um because you can't uh ever really hear and perceive what they're hearing and perceiving um even if you're cueing their mix so i think uh you know to me the the good communication and the openness has to be a lot of this where they have to feel uh comfortable and we as engineers have to feel comfortable having that dialogue and realizing like you know, it's not about we're getting criticized for our mixing skills, but, you know, we're there to make them comfortable. So um, if there's something they can tell me to to further that and that I can make figure out what they need to be changed, uh, you know, I, I want to do that. So I think a lot of it's about communication. Absolutely. You know, you got to realize um, that mixing monitors is customer service more than it is anything else. You're not mixing for you. You're not mixing for for anything really except the people signing your checks you know if if it sounds weird to you but it, they like it that's that's cool that's that's what they want and if you can expand on that and make it better for them even as weird as it sounds to you then perfect you know never nobody perceives sound exactly the same and you know like like you said you're not even in q mode you're not gonna um hear exactly what the artist is hearing even if you stand right behind them on stage you can get an idea um on this most recent thing i did with steel panther i had to kind of remember to do that uh we were on a uh in a venue that had just a you know a hollow plywood stage kind of thing in this old skate rink and um you know i had a file that i knew was good um uh, but the band was like, man, stuff sounds weird, blah, blah, blah. Then I walked up on stage and immediately felt the, you know, the um, resonance under my feet and realized what the deal was and fixed it for them. But, you know, it's, you have to have that communication. And, you know, at the same time, after a while, you know, the artist will, you know, start to trust you. And that's, that's another great thing to have is an artist that sort of trusts that you're going to be on it and you're going to be jumping ahead um to or even like i was saying earlier sort of just have that mind reading going on you know they don't know why they're uncomfortable but if you can pinpoint it that's that's gold so what would you say would be the foundation blocks for building that open door that that bridge of trust between engineer and artist my usual thing for building that relationship uh especially if it's the first time um an artist is getting onto uh onto ears is um hang on let me gain up just a sec here 
sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta walk up and say to them, "Hey, you know, do you like jelly or jam <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with your peanut butter, mm-hmm. whole grain or white, crust or <laughs> um, crustless?" Exactly. Do mm-hmm. you do you want me to chop these crusts off? Do you want it diagonal or vertical? Mm-hmm. Well, are you a, are you a no cruster? You seem like you would be a no cruster. I I am all about the crust, man. The crust is where the oh, flavor man. is. I, I misread that. Yeah, crust, really crust, that. and on the diagonal with creamy peanut butter yeah. and yeah. jam, not jelly. Yeah, absolutely. Jam spreads, jam spreads mm-hmm. way better. Sure so, does. Since we just totally did a left turn, um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say I toured with the band that ordered uncrustables all the time it was like touring with a bunch of 13 year olds amazing <laughs> that that's that's great i think that's you know there's there's so there's so much to be said about um the fact that the artist just knows you got their back you know what i mean like like even this like this kind of rapport that you have where you can talk and have a conversation and they they're confident that uh, you know, hey, it's okay if my mix isn't quite right when we first go out there because you know I know that Kyle's got me and he's gonna tweak it for me. Like that, I, oh. that goes further than anything else. I'm thinking uh, they have to be comfortable. They have to have that trust in you. And if they don't, the performance goes out the window. You know, they uh, know that right Kyle away. will have a thing of uncrustables in, <laughs> in his back pocket for them. With Those things are like little calzones. <laughs> I, I mean. Uh, so for me, like I, I once, I always go up to an artist and just say, "Hey, you know, I'm Ashton. I'm your new monitor guy. What do you like to hear?" Mm-hmm. And half, a lot of the time, that'll throw the artist because they don't really know. So then I start to sort of break it down. Do you, you know, do you want to feel like you're sort of in the studio, or do you want to like, or do you want to just feel like you've got a wedge in front of you, but? It, it's more isolated or like you, you're hearing exactly what's coming out of that wedge with nothing around it. Or do you want to, you know, we've got a million inputs. So let me like throw a mic at your feet. If, you know, after a while they're like, I don't like this, you know, I feel too in my head. Um, but a lot of the times I've had people just come straight up to me and say, I want it to sound like X. So for instance, my favorite story to tell is always the first time I met Zach Wilde. I got a call to mix to get him on in-ears and I immediately looked up some YouTube videos and to my horror found videos of him tossing wedges off the stage or Uh. reading an article about him throwing a guitar at a monitor guy. And I'm like, Uh. why did I do this? Why did I say yes to this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we did a few days of rehearsal without Zach. He had just come back from a different tour from Russia. So he was, uh, recovering. And so we're, I've got a mixed out for everybody else. They're all happy. And he comes in and, you know, introduces himself and I introduce myself and I say, Hey Zach. So, you know, when you put these headphones on, what, what do you want to experience? And he's like, well, father Ashton, I want it to sound like the garden, but empty. And so immediately I think, okay, shit ton of reverb. Let's go. And so I throw that on his guitar and he's super about it. Can you put that on my voice too? Absolutely. And the man just swam in a sea of reverb for the entirety of my working for him. (laughs) I don't know how, but that was his jam. 
<laughs> loved it, and he loved it. Oh, he did. Yeah, uh, there would be a couple times uh, throughout that where, like, I'd be switching a layer, and you know, if it was a cold day or I had long sleeves on, you know, the fader would get caught on my arm or something, and it, go figure. It would always be that that send, and he called it the church because it was. I was on an SC48 or a profile, and it was D-verb, church preset. Yeah. And he's like, he'd run over to me, where'd the church go? (laughs) (laughs) And I'd look down to my horror and see that the the ox end is down. And I'm like, shit, there it is. And he's like, yeah, there it is. (laughs) So, so Ashton, great, great that you said that. So, Kids, the moral of the story is, is don't think you know what anybody wants in their ears ever, whether mm-hmm. it's an ear or a wedge. Don't ever think that you're doing some, them a service by giving them something you want to hear ever. It's not about you. It's about them. And it's about their ability to be present within their performance. That is your whole job is to make it so that you don't exist in that their entire exactly. world is the audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if they know you're doing something, you're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, um, even if it's just like, like I've got it on disturbed, I've got a handful of, um, snapshots for different things. And if I miss one, they'll know, but the goal is for everything to be seamless. Even if it's down to like a, you know, a, uh, going to a backup mic, uh, or a spare wireless or something like that. I I personally try to never have like a specific spare channel. Um, I always try and do either I carry a like a two to one switcher in my in my uh, Pelican case, mm-hmm. or I'll program in a um, patch change into whatever desk I'm using. So that way, if we're gonna hand off that spare mic because of either so-and-so spit into the mic too much and it sounds poopy or bad wireless it's a seamless transition and it's not like you've got to follow up like remembering oh you know i turned up uh this thing uh you know 4k 2db on this channel i gotta remember to copy that over to the spare channel no just make it seamless make it so they know that it never even happened other than that they've got a different mic in their hand. Mm-hmm. That's always my thing. It's like people ask and I say, man, it's customer service. If you're out front, you know, you mix it the way you want, make it sound good, take notes from the band, probably management, definitely a wife, and then, you know, build it around there. But usually you're pulling the pulling most of the shots out front. But, you know, out back mm-hmm. at stage, it's it's all about what the artist wants. Even if you think it sounds weird, they don't. They like it. I remember when we had Eddie Kaipo on the show a couple episodes back, more than a couple episodes back at this point, and he was talking about. Um, actually, I don't think he said it on the show. I think he. I think he said it to me some other time when he was uh, talking about Enrique's monitors, and he said, "If you heard his mix, he goes, you'd fire me." He goes, "It's it's oh yeah, <laughs> it's really harsh." He goes, "It's a click right down the center of your forehead. It's just his voice." And he goes, it is truly unpleasant to a listener. He goes, but that's exactly what he wants. Absolutely. And that's exactly what he likes it. And he's happy. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's kind of a takeaway for me. My my lead vocalist that I work with, she wants, I, I call it the bat cave, her, her in-ears. She doesn't want uh, pretty much anything else on the stage other than her own voice and guitar. And it's 
like a four and a half second. It's like some really wow. serious. Um, she loves it. And um, I, I don't know, you know, what it is about that, that it, it keeps her comfortable or helps her pitch or whatever it is. But she that's that's how she's comfortable. And um, she rarely asked me to change it. So she's super comfortable doing that. So that's what we do, you know. I love it. I mean, I I learned it the hard way. You know, I mean, I had a gig and I was dealing with a guy who um, liked his vocal uh, high passed up to 400 and I couldn't understand why. <laughs> and so I kept trying to sneak it down and he would go, no, it's my voice sounds like this. And I'm like, OK. Yeah. And, and after a while, the two of us got sick of talking to each other about that. And so that was the end of that. And then that was when I realized, oh, I've made a huge mistake. I, I want to sound like a bad Bob Dylan record in my head. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's all I can think when you said 400. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it sounds like that. You know what, though? You know what? I can see that because if you're the one who's singing, you get some, you know, some nasal cavity resonance and you get the occlusion effect and you get a lot of low mid stuff happening because your head's vibrating. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So so maybe you don't need more of that in your ears. You already got it. You know, I, I was just thinking to myself, you know, just now the same thing. I was like, oh, you know what? His 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 skull must be really thick. So it gets lots of, a lot of resonance. I love it. I love that you can blame it on that. You're like, Oh, poor guy with the fucking thick skull. Oh, exactly. Dude. Well, <laughs> he, he sounds, Oh, hang on. I know why this is weird. He sounds like this. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to the signal to noise. Podcast. <laughs> exactly. I won. I think I just won. Yes, you did. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about, uh, I want to talk about stereo image a little bit, Ashton. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and one of the things actually Will and I did a, did a thing uh, with Alan Heath. Was it yesterday, Will? Is yeah, it, it was yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So it was yesterday and it was us and Drew Thornton and, and uh, Samantha Potter and Mike Bangs. And Mike Bangs, it was a kind of a mix off. You had 15 minutes to throw a mix together and then you get what you get. And Mike Bangs being a modern engineer did monitor mixes for his six and months. six six monitor mixes in 15 minutes um and a lot of what he was talking about is his use of panning and how important that is and he's like nothing other than you know if you're the lead singer your lead vocal center nothing else in his mix is center things are maybe slightly panned but nothing gets that middle spot mm-hmm. and um you know how important it is to use that stereo space uh effectively so can you can you talk about that a little bit yeah i mean f- for me there's it's super important because especially if you have a loud stage or things going on like amps and stuff behind you, you want to try and line that up with what's going on stage because there's always, you know, even the best sealed set of in-ears is going to um, have some, some leakage. And so you're going to perceive stuff happening behind you and around you. So, Absolutely. Like I will do things where like, okay, the guitar amp is X amount of feet to somebody's left and they never move. So I'll just pan this slightly or the bass is coming from the right side. And people usually find that great. If it's a moving person, then then I've I've found that just doing hard panned hundred percent, hundred percent for like two guitar players. Like with disturbed, what I do is, is, um, the Haas effect 
for Danny because it's one guitar player. So I delay one side 12 milliseconds of his signal and you get some spread. So that way, once again, something's not occupying that center space. Um, the thing with Disturbed, which is nice, is those guys like everything to feel like they're in the studio. They like a real sterile thing. So I, for pretty much everybody, I mix it, you know, kind of like I'm mixing a record. Uh, bass down center, guitar with the Haas effect becomes wide. The toms occupy, you know, negative 50 for one tom all the way down to like plus 75 for the right side. Cymbals are hard panned um, and vocals down center. David likes a lot of uh, sort of effect on his voice because once again, he's perceiving a lot of himself through his nasal cavity and his, and his skull. So we've got um, some uh, reverb, just a plate and um, waves doubler on there for sort of the um, eventide kind of an effect. Um, but for other artists, you know, once again, like I'll, I don't, anytime anybody asks, I'd say it's really up to what your artist wants. I've had people that want, you know, their guitar just slightly off center that they're playing because that gives them the separation. I've had other people that just no panning whatsoever. So just a straight up mono mix and that gets them through the day. It's, it's no one artist is ever the same. That being said, I find that, um, younger, uh, artists, uh, tend to be way more receptive to trying things out and, and saying, you know, uh, Hey, you know, do you want to try putting like this on there? Oh yeah, let's do it. Or even just like you build them a mix and they're totally into it. And that's always a nice thing too. When, when you do something and uh, the artist is just super into it. It's not always the case, but sometimes you get lucky. And I've always found that like younger artists are super into that. Anytime I've programmed an X32, I just kind of build tones based on what I think sounds good and just push up faders based on what they want and usually works out. Yeah, and you know, I'll say the flip side of that because uh, my artists, the, the act I work with most often, they're older; they're in their sixties, and so they grew up with with wedges, you know, mm -hmm. just blast them in the face. And so, a lot of times, that was just it. Kind of was what it was, and they couldn't hear what they wanted to, but they've learned to just accept it. Um, so when they went to ears, we had to have a lot of conversations about, well, you don't have to just accept not being able to hear anymore. Um, so we do have control over this now. So I know that they, you know, some of them might have gotten to a point where they go, "Yeah, this is fine. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna continue to ask for stuff." But I'm like, "No, you, can, you can though. You can have oh, whatever yeah. you want." You yeah, know, so absolutely. to break them of that habit that the monitoring situation is what it is. Like, no, you have your own mix now. So all you need to do is ask me, and we can. That's that's something I've totally forgotten about. But I, I remember specific instances where I've had somebody tell me after the show, "Oh, you know, like this was happening," and I'm like why don't you look over and just give me the middle finger to fix it or something like that. And they're like, that's nah, fine. Like I can still hear myself, but that's not the point. That's why I'm here. Like, right. let's yeah. get this going. The point is I'm yeah, here I've, to help you and had... I want to help you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me help you. Yeah. Help I, I've me had artists. Help you. <laughs> I've had artists say to me, the front of house person, I'm, you know, David, our, our monitor engineer, I'm, 
uh, you know, I feel bad. I don't, I don't want to bother David. I'm like, no, like the whole reason he's here is so you can ask him for things. So like, exactly, please, exactly. please go ask him Facebook for things. The whole show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and like, I always do a, I always do like a, a post show sort of debriefing with any artist and, and take notes. You know, I walk into the dressing room to collect packs and say, okay, do you have any notes, concerns, comments? And, you know, it's really nice when it's got nothing to do with me um, because sometimes artists will be so in their head about, oh, this lighting cue is wrong or or whatever. And I'll be like, so nothing for me then? No, you were great. You're not fired. Okay, good. <laughs> I think even just even that routine is just another one of those things that says, hey, man, you know, I care. I'm, I'm paying attention and I got you. And I think that's one of those things that uh, lowers the stress level and raises the comfort level and, you know, whether or not they have a change, the fact that you're always asking. Um, Absolutely. That, I mean, that's the biggest thing for, for that I've found that works for me is, is ask your artist, um, you know, are you comfortable with this? Like we've got time to like fix this or the, or after the show, Hey, so great show from my side. How was it? from from uh for you about me like how how were your ears how was how were your wedges if or anything you know were you comfortable like it looked like at this point something may not have been loud enough but you didn't ask for anything so i didn't change anything and usually they'll say no nah, it was fine i just wasn't feeling it or blah 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 but other times they'll have specific notes for you and you know make sure to remember those and fix those for the next day mm-hmm I want to I want to talk a little bit of it. Uh, Will and I were talking about this earlier today about when you when you're getting your artists used to in ears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's obviously a big change. Um, it's a big adjustment for them, and it really requires a lot of trust and communication. And um, one of the things that uh, <laughs> there was a little training involved, you know, um, where what, one of the things that would happen is they they'd get to rehearsal and they'd all put their packs on. And what did the first thing you do? You you sit down at your drum set and you hit the snare drum or you strum your guitar and they go, hey, Mikey, I'm really loud in my own ears. Can you turn me down? And what I noticed is don't do that because as soon as everyone plays the first song, you're going to ask for it back. Absolutely. Um, so, Holy so, shit. So we put a rule in place, which was don't ask me for something until you guys play your first song and then let's talk because otherwise we're going to just be chasing our tail, you know? I mean, absolutely. Like usually I... I've unless it, I'm with like a baby band that's doing their own line check. I never let an artist like sit through line check because, you know, other than them checking like an individual thing, if they're checking something out of context, it's mm-hmm. going to be too loud. It's going to be too, it's going to be wrong. They're going to have their pack too loud just because they're not paying attention. Uh, um, it did happen to me last week with, with Panther, you know, they did a, stood by for a line check how oh, my vocals too loud as soon as the downbeat turn my vocal back up <laughs> but it was that was console de jour like i had an x32 with them for the first time a pro 2 an m32 and then a profile for those four shows so that's always fun too yeah that really uh you know i i've had to do a lot of uh you know really really critical thinking about i i really try to keep my vocalists from singing into compression in their ears. Uh, I found that it, they can tire them out. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so stuff like that. But, you know, then I have to figure out, okay, well, do they get the other vocalist? You know, I have six, I have six vocal mics on stage. Does each person hear the other five 
pre or post compression, you know, are they hearing the, the you know, uh, my keyboard player is just fed off a subgroup. So he gets like the front of house mix with just a little tiny bit more of himself. Whereas uh, my drummer will ask me to turn up, a, you know, one specific thing. So just learning about kind of how they're perceiving it. And uh, if this person always says, can you turn the guitars up versus if this person says, can you turn this one particular guitar up? You know, that influences how I'm going to lay their mix out on the desk and, uh, you know, how I'm going to process what they're getting too. And that's, that's also kind of a learning process for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always found that, yeah, like you said, I, it's just a tickle of compression more for a vocalist. It's like a safety thing more than anything. And I always put a sort of a really loose, you know, eight to one, 10 to one, or if I have the option of inserting a plugin on their bus for a limiter to sort of protect on the off chance, something explodes on stage. But other than that, for like vocals or anything where, yeah, you know, like if you're singing into compression, you're going to sing that loud part and push harder. And that's going to wear the shit out of your voice. Um, so I've always prescribed to that method too. Um, that being said for, Unless somebody asks me specifically, I don't always typically double up a channel like, you know, this is the compressed version of that channel and this is the compressed version of that. Um, but that being said, I've had a few occasions where it's like, I don't like that snare sound. Okay, let's double this channel and make it the way you want because everybody else likes that snare channel. Right, exactly. Uh, Kyle, uh, any last thoughts before you got to go to soccer practice, buddy? Did he leave already? I think he, he left. left. He went to soccer practice. Oh, he, texted yeah. me, he texted me his team logo. <laughs> Bye, Kyle. You didn't even say goodbye? Rude. I didn't even say goodbye. Damn. Crazy. Um, uh, <laughs> Kyle, we're kicking you off the island. <laughs> I just, it's funny. I was i was looking up the Signal to Noise podcast uh, the, the on ProSound, and Kyle's photo on there mimics his, I'm out of here. Uh, kind of vibe just now. <laughs> well, that's the joke because every time we talk about mix and monitors on this show, his whole Kyle thing is out. he goes, I'm going to give you three songs and then I'll be on my phone. Nothing personal. That's kind of <laughs> his approach. And I always laugh. I mean, um, that was that was my impression of Kyle when I first met him uh, doing that that dive in, in Mesa. We, uh, one of my first tours ever. We were playing the basement room. It was t- like, I don't even remember, some shit PA down there. And he's just like, I don't give a shit if you blow it up. Just don't do it. <laughs> and I said, okay. And then he went upstairs and left me alone to my own vices. And I had a show. And then the next time I was there, the band I worked for was upstairs. And he was like, the the uh, console booth is like 15 feet up and like easily 300 feet back from like two Electro Voice cabinets and it's awful and unless you had an ipad uh which i didn't at the time uh you were shit out of luck and you had to walk into the middle of the crowd um but yeah same thing kyle was like it's gonna sound quiet back here don't blow up the pa but i don't give a shit if you do (laughs) but don't i'm gonna go have lunch have a good sound check and i said oh yeah i remember this guy (laughs) And then after that, like we were homies and, and this is back when, um, my buddy Woody was working at that club too. Uh, Matt Woods, shout out, uh, Black Dahlia murder front of house and Trivium's front of house guy. He's awesome. That's sweet. So you may be uh, one of our first visitors actually. We just relaunched the, we have, we have a real website now. 
Illinoispodcast.com. Oh, it's pretty cool. We've been working on it over the weekend. So so thanks for checking it out. Man. Hey, perfect. You're welcome. <laughs> so everyone go by there, see a picture, see the crazy picture of Kyle. Uh, I think Chris got some like, taco stickers and shit up on there. So check that out. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to snag myself a pair of those uh, Fueled by Tacos leggings because I, oh, yeah. I have to. I need that. Oh, tacos. Well, Jeff Holly told me he wants a pair too. So you guys will have to. <laughs> Oh my Wednesdays. god, I've, I've scrolled down. There's that merch. Holy shit. See? And you know what? I will say uh uh we are we're very happy to support the Roadie Clinic from uh, you know Paul and Courtney Clemson. We've had them on the show and they're doing some awesome stuff for yeah. the industry. So we're we're gonna be sending them a portion of all the proceeds from the store since we're talking about the store. Um, awesome. So those those leggings, Willa, you were you were doing a social good and you're yes. gonna look snazzy. So I love that. <laughs> I love that. Excellent. <laughs> Um, Ash, do you, do you do a lot of work? Um, another thing that, that Will and I were talking about on the phone today, um, the biggest thing that, that really helped me cause my, my art just changed to a new console. So, uh, the big thing for me was getting the virtual sound check going, um, and just sitting down and spending that time on my own, not at a rehearsal to sort of rough in their mixes. And, and so when the rehearsal fires up and we go to the first song and I only have one person asking me for one change, I'm like, okay, that worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you do a lot of stuff with the with playback and, and working and finessing that? I do. Uh, I don't always get the opportunity to. Uh, like the so what I try and do is try to. I've sort of got like a great visual memory, which is nice. So if I know I've made like something specific that varies from my like go to start point for any sort of instrument. I'll usually remember that, and it usually will translate across consoles. Um, that being said, absolutely, like I record every show that I can um, because it will either help me uh, professionally, help me financially, or anything in the end. Um, but I've been very thankful with most of my artists to have the consistency of of having the same console or the same brand uh across shows so that way if i you know if i have to go from one to the other i it's not a big change you know if it's a digico uh show you know i just load up the uh translator software and swap that over or you know with disturbed it's always been an avid uh so when we hopped from uh profile to the s6l the only change was nothing really except the sonic quality the band uh came on they knew we had gotten a new console but they did one song and immediately like they came over and said is that your same show file i mean yeah for the most part guys holy shit that does sound so good (laughs) there's so much like space um for for you know like i mentioned with steel panther uh having console de jour thankfully most of the time they've had show files already um but for the x32 we didn't so yeah i loaded in the file but uh nick rucker who has been their production manager for a house for 12 13 years now has got them down in such a way that it's kind of impossible to fuck up that gig um He's the guy that tunes the drums. Uh, he's the guy that sets the mics. So everything is very consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, even a, the guitars are all uh, coming in from either this really cool boutique amp modeler that I don't remember the name of. Uh, and then the bass is a, just a straight DI and a Sans amp. Uh, 
and they carry their mics and, and wireless mics and stuff. So pretty much I can say, okay, the snare is going to need a boost at 180 because it's that 80s, you know, downtuned sort of white noise snare drum with a lot of body to it. Um, but, you know, for other artists, like with some of the pop artists I've done, I take that show file and go, okay, we're going to do this show where I don't have a choice to get my preferred console. So I'm going to make a file. So I'll go out to let it or go out to, um, I live 40 minutes from thunder and, you know, they'll let me come in and program for a day on a digico and I'll go in there and build my file. And it's super helpful to have that. Uh, and then, you know, if it's just a, little bit of fine tuning then awesome and that way you can say okay uh the promoter got us the wrong desk but good news i got a show file <laughs> that way you're super prepared you know it's better to be prepared than like with your thumb up your ass and going i don't know how to use this desk we got to cancel the show <laughs> that's not gonna fly and i've heard people that have tried to pull that excuse and i'm like you Seriously? don't know how to use this desk the fuck's wrong with you? I, I, you know what? That was one of the things. If I think back on my first tour, being 19 years old, it was a shit show. But uh, you know, in terms of in terms of consistency, right? PA du jour, and we're carrying. I was carrying five microphones and a DI, right? That was it, and everything else was whatever the hell the club had. Um, and so, for consistency, that is a huge challenge, especially if you're not an experienced engineer. But it taught me a ton about. Hey, here's how to wrangle a shitty club PA in five minutes. Absolutely. Um, I didn't have an analyzer. I didn't have any of the experience that I have now with tuning PAs and and also different console every night. Um, I used to bring my, my when I used to mix front of house more, uh, I used to bring, and for baby bands, I brought out like my old fire pod in a rack and would record <laughs> a two track every night uh, pre, pre um, graphic EQ. And then I would play that back in the club, whatever shithole we were doing the next day and go, all right, this is at least what it sounded like last night. And I would sort of get that audio input in my head. So that way I could like, and I would record line check too. That way I would like have a good starting point and go, okay, that's what it sounded like last night. And then I would compare the two religiously in like the van or something and go, okay, this is what I need to fix before we actually start the show. The hi-hat was too loud, but I didn't think it was too loud. Hmm. That's I really that. neat. Yeah. I do. I, man, I love doing that. And like, I remember one of my, one of the best compliments I ever got, I mixed uh front of house at the whiskey before they got the new PA in there. They had an X32. So I recorded uh just a two track and so when the done the band was done sound checking i played it back just the two track and said to myself okay i gotta do this and so i went back made the changes and then after the show was done that night a bunch of the old uh guys that i guess hung out there throughout its heyday came up to me and said we've been coming here for 40 years and it's never sounded this good in here what are you doing i'm like making it sound the way i want Thanks, guys. <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> but yeah i i'm i'm like super anal about making sure that you know even if i can't record multi-track i'll record a two-track if i can just so i know what i'm doing 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, I mean, if I think about going back, right. And trying to do that again now, um, being faced with those same challenges and, and the difference in terms of the equipment that we have available to us in terms of our tool set, but also, you know, what knowledge I've gained in, in the meantime, um, you know, I was, when you're fighting against a different PA and you don't understand anything about PA tuning or tonality or anything like that, I mean, you're, you're almost chasing your tail in a sense. Um, and so I, I think about that a lot, but I mean, I will often get out some old rehearsal multi-tracks and just sit down at whatever console happens to be closest to me um, and oh, yeah. fire it up, you know? And, and um, what, what's funny is um, I think, so I've had, I've had my artists on three different consoles uh, now and every time they change consoles, they're like, wow, this console sounds a lot better than the previous console. And I don't think that's really the answer. I think it's that I rebuilt their file incorporating all the stuff that I learned since the last time I built their file. Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? So I, I, I'm like, D- dude, you could probably reset this board right now and I could build it again on the same exact board. And you'd probably still say that because I don't think it's all about the desk. Sometimes starting from scratch is a great yeah. um, sort of refresh, you know, like, ah, you know, I was stuck doing it this way because they liked it. But ah, now, now I'm going to do this instead of that. And, and yeah, exactly. I've, I do that with some of the studio mixes I do. If I'm, I've, if you've sort of thrown yourself into a, mixed yourself into a corner, sometimes just starting over is the best way. And usually you come out sounding better than you were before. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I was, I'm actually, I'm uh, kind of an assistant engineer on a session that I'm doing with a buddy uh, the last couple of weeks. And he said, Hey, can you come by? I, you know, he's like, I'm really having trouble with this vocal. I just can't get it. And I said, I can tell you how to fix it. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I said, bypass everything. And he just did it. He's like, wow, okay, yep. I was like, yeah, just you start just, over. You get too close to it, man. You just got to, you know, reset. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're so used to hearing it one way that, uh, you know, sometimes just hearing it fresh yeah. makes all the difference. I, 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 the band I'm, uh, that I've been in for, you know, 15 years when I'm home from tour, we'll record stuff. And we put out an album in May and I had one vocal preset for that. And then we're, you know, my singer came up to me. He's like, I wrote 12 more songs. (laughs) And so we've been tracking those. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to use that last preset. So I started from scratch, did it completely different. And now I love his vocal. This dude, his, his evals are the most, awful thing no single mic <laughs> i have ever used on him really kind of tames it and like right now i've got him singing into a 1940s era cmv 563 tube mic and even that into the 1073 is like i still have to do a lot of carving to his voice but i did something different where it was like just this i said screw it I'm not going to get surgical. I'm just going to pull out that range that I hate about him. And so 3K, wide Q, negative 8 dB. Holy shit, that's what I should have done since the beginning. Man, I was talking to Ryan John the other day, and it's I, it's, it's, boy. it's it's rare that a podcast goes by where we don't mention Ryan. I joke about the the Ryan John Day calendar of all his <laughs> his you know intellectual goodness, but um, he's a great dude though, so it's well deserved. He's, he's the man, and uh, mixing in front of, the- of him is like <laughs> I I I got a random. I was I f- was flying out to do a thing for um, for uh, Metric Halo plug-in division at nam in january and i'm sitting on the plane 
And I got a text from uh, the manager, uh, Andrew, uh, for Animals as Leaders. And he's like, hey, you're coming to NAM, right? Yeah. Can you mix the guys tonight? Uh, sure. PM10, no show file, semi-start file. Anyway, we get going and Brian John is standing right in front of me. And I'm like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> that motherfucker is going to judge me if this shit doesn't sound right. So like I like I throw my in-ears on and start dialing in the mix a little bit more like during the show and by by the time he left, I had it sounding really good. And I've watched subsequent videos to know that he wasn't just being polite to me. So I'll I'll give it that. But yeah, anyway, derailed the topic again. No, well, no shout out funny. to Ryan. We'll talk about yeah, how great big shout he out is. to Ryan. He's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he, he says uh, he likes, he goes to his wife and just plays the parts of the show where people mention him. And he said she thinks it's cute. So <laughs> that's amazing. We got to make is. him, uh, got to make him a, uh, actually, you know what? Don't, don't inflate his ego. Like a he real? doesn't, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, we were this this uh, this quick mix thing that, that Will and I were a part of. Uh, he texted me as soon as we the, the the thing started up, and he said, "Oh man, he goes, I, I I've done a mix of this these multi tracks." I was like, "Oh shit, really?" Like, so now <laughs> Great. So he sent me his what he had done, and I was actually quite proud of myself because when I played it back, I'm like, "Wow, this actually sounds very similar to my mix, <laughs> only only Good. just like slightly more polished." And the I was like, Ryan "You know what? John the Ryan John standard." Yeah. <laughs> little little ego fuel there but um mm-hmm. so but one of the things that he and i were talking about is when you're sitting in a daw and you you've got an eight band parametric with a built-in rta i'm thinking about you know the logic stock eq is really great and i like it um there's this tendency to like oh i see that little thing on the rta that i don't like and i'm going to take a q of 12 and go yeah. in and you, you can, can really get so stuck yeah man like if you think back to the analog midas you know these big wide you know, that's the British, when they talk about the British EQ, they're talking about these wide filters. Like, widen that thing up, man. Like, just just don't get so yeah. surgical with it. Um, and I so, find that, you some know, of I my, get better results. Some of my favorite, like, OG mixes when I when I was starting out, some of my favorite mixes were on some of those Allen Heath, like, GL2500s or whatever, because yeah. you were just sort of forced to make it sound as good as you could. And a lot of the time, like, even... You know, we're talking 10, 11 years ago, iPhone, you know, cameras didn't sound that, or microphones didn't sound great, but I've randomly, you know, the algorithm will show me an old video I've watched of something I mixed and I go, shit, that didn't sound so bad. I didn't, you know, I didn't know exactly what I was doing with that console at the time because it was a throw and go, but all right, not bad, kid. (laughs) I was. Just, I like to do. Oh, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. I well, just on on the idea of listening back to um, mixes that you've done and kind of critiquing yourself. It's, it's very interesting how, like, in the moment, you think to yourself, like, "Ah, oh, man, this is not good," or uh, I, "I should be doing something different." And then you go back, you listen to it, and there's just that that separation of time. And it's like, oh wait, it actually, it's a, it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's always such a nice reality check. Um, cause I, for me particularly, I can get pretty hard on myself, like in the moment and just like be kicking myself in the head, just like, man, like, ah, this could be so much better. And then you go back and you listen and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And, oh, it's super, yeah. super reassuring mm-hmm. sometimes to hear that. That being said, sometimes you'll be in a room where if your mix sucks, you're going to know it. I'm, oh yeah. Oh, I was not talking to <laughs> yes. you the other day about this. Oh, I, I, I was having lunch with John Moyer, uh, basis for disturbed uh because i had this 
a late flight, so we we went out um, in Austin. The PlayStation slash Nokia slash Best Buy theater in New York is one of those places where if your mix sucks, you're gonna know because that room is dead. Uh, Especially when they we were, put that big fucking drape thing. That they mm-hmm, got. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, well, what what brought that up is we were having lunch across the street from the new Emos in Austin, and oh, that's right. another that's like room right where. where I live. Oh no shit! Yeah, yeah I was at that Mexican spot across the street. Oh, that's a great spot. It's so good. Yeah. I had uh, the breakfast burrito, and it was fantastic. Great choice. Chorizo. <laughs> That's um, where you should take Fletcher uh, next week. Oh, then noted. A, noted. Another previous guest and good friend of the show, Fletcher McDermott. He's going to be down uh, in Willow's Way. And I said, Willow, take him out, get him some Austin food. So there, I think we've solved it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, cool. with the you know, with the exception of barbecue, Mexican food is the, is the way to go. And yeah, that spot across from Emo's is awesome. Oh, but okay. Emo's is another room that is treated so well that it's like, pushing up a fader on near fields and it's if your mix is especially if you're coming in with a file you'll know if you've been neglecting the reverb or something if you're not like listening to the two track but i mean that's one of the things i do all the time if for me my my thing is if you're if you're um if your board mix doesn't sound great you know on the bus or like decent on the bus well, that was what was coming out of the speakers, mm-hmm. uh, coming out of the PA. So it didn't sound great in the room, no matter what you thought it sounded like. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are some environmental things with that, too. You know, maybe push the vocal up. Maybe you don't need so much cymbals. But, you know, people not standing directly in front of the stage, but closer to the PA are going to miss those cymbals. So I put them in the PA, even if it's, you know, too loud. Because, you know, in the end, for posterity's sake, you know, the band's going to hear the the YouTube video, but if you can play them, you know, because some bands want to hear that, that's what got me started bringing out my my uh, FirePod back in the day. Uh, you know, they're like, do you have a way to record it so we can hear it every night? And I'm like, yeah, I'll bring this out. And, you know, that definitely made me go, oh, this doesn't sound so good in the van speakers. I better <laughs> step this shit up and mix it like this. And... I found that, you know, walking around in the room, usually it would sound better in the room if I mixed it that way too. You know, obviously turn up maybe an element that's missing, you know, vocals usually will be the loudest thing, but you know, having a balanced mix is, is huge. And if you're told, yeah, yeah. that's something I've put a ton of, of time into thinking about is, is, you know, cause I'm primarily a system tech. So for me, it's, how do I tune my PA in a way that makes the board mix sound like what it sounded in the room? Um, you know, oh, yeah. so, so when, when, the, when I give that two track to the artist, I go, you know, this is, you know, this is tonally what the show sounded like. It's not crazy. Um, I'd like to know from a monitor's perspective when you're on ears and you're taking the same show into different rooms. I mean, how much are you tweaking day to day in terms of ambient mics and bleed and the reverbs that you're using? How much does the room affect your artists in your environment? Um, Really, the only time it's affecting for me, I've had it where the vocalist needs a little bit more in their ears, and it's usually due to the surface of the floor they're standing on. You know, if, if I'm doing uh, an arena tour and we've got the same type of staging every day or we're carrying a stage, I don't really have to change anything. Uh, or even carrying a PA. Uh that you know there are artists that don't like feeling bass under their stage so we'll have the system engineer uh sort of steer the subs away from the stage 
uh, with delay and, and stuff like that, which is super helpful. Um, but you know, you don't always have that luxury. So, you know, wooden stages, I find vocalists especially need a little bit more of themselves in their ears to cut above what they're feeling in their feet, which sometimes sort of take over. Um, but once again, it really just depends on the individual. Um, because yeah, everyone's experiencing things different. My but for me, I rarely, I, and this goes for front of house too. I, I will rarely change like the channel EQ on anything. If they're missing something, I will. And I know they've liked it for the last like, 10 shows and then suddenly it's no good i will uh maybe adjust their output eq a little bit they're like ah it's a little too muffly okay let's pull some like 100 out of out of the overall mix and usually that that helps i've got two two things that i i primarily work on which is my my group of hertz is in more of like a round kind of configuration so they all see each other mm. and then when they're on stage i have you know a vocal line on stage so now i have all these symbols going into the vocal mics i didn't have before um so so the amount of ambient stuff in their in their ears that i was adding is is down now because they're getting it um and the other thing is in a bigger room I'll give them more low end just across the board because in a small room, they're playing a club or something. They're getting all that. Like you said, they're getting all that sub energy um, tactily and they don't need it in the ears. But when they're on a bigger stage, they're not getting that like they're used to getting it. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tweak that. Just it's, it's like a low shelf on, on the whole bus, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, so f- that, and I won't be able to quote you the science behind this, but I remember reading a, um, one of the wireless blogs about this, uh, you're going to get better uh, connection ratios or something like that if you high pass at 60 and low pass at 16K. That It's something to do with transmission. So right out of the gate, I'm already doing that um, just based on seeing that a few times. Um, hopefully somebody can come up with the link or the science behind that to tell me what i'm quoting but um it works i've i especially with sennheiser products i find it to to work a lot better um even in busy environments like dallas and houston um but yeah i i do a lot of the same thing um you know uh, and it depends too it depends on the on the genre but yeah for like rock bands and r&b rap and stuff if if you've got a lot of low end under your feet why put it in their ears they're already feeling it and that, and that's another thing you know having a good relationship with your front of house engineer as as a monitor engineer too is super important because sometimes you know maybe they're just loving the bass that day hey you know it feels a lot more ballsy up here than it normally does can can you take back the low end a little bit or like maybe you know if you've got the benefit of a system engineer can you have the se like maybe steer the subs off so that the energy is the same but it's not up here um that's super helpful because yeah you want consistency for the artist and i always do like a walk around during line check you know if the if there's a roadie jam going on i'll you know cue between all the mixes on my pack and stand in their positions and try and you know get the general vibe to be the same for them i mean i i've i've 
gone as far as so the the fellow that I usually mix monitors with and we do like you know local regional stuff around here we're both system engineers right so we're both kind of faking mixing <laughs> and yeah. um, yeah. and we 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 approach the whole thing from that whole angle so you know when we got a big rock band on stage um they they want it loud and they're used to lots of wedges and we will design in an intentionally less controlled subarray um rather than you know when we have an acoustic act on stage um, we'll do a lot more steering with the sub. So, so it's really a conversation about, you know, what does he think is appropriate for the onstage environment? And that, that becomes part of the PA design. So we, we start very early with that. And that means that we're not fighting each other during the show, you know, it, it makes us, it makes the relationship for you and the artist that much more special when the, what they're feeling on stage is consistent too, you know, yeah. because then then it allows your mix to translate from day to day in their ears. I mean, consistency is the, the name of the game for really, you know? Oh, absolutely. Me. Absolutely. I mean, even if it, I've, I've spent like an hour or two with like a guitar tech going through all the different patches and trying to make them pretty much the same volume. If it's like a lead patch, like maybe an extra two DB, but we're not, you know, we're not trying to blow anybody's ears up. That's, that's how you get fired. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be known as the guy that caused so and so to go deaf. Yeah, or the hey, stop cranking up your your solo channel because it cranks it up for everybody, man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the one of my favorite audio related memes during COVID has been the the sound check meme where it's like, here's the guitar player at sound check, and here's the guitar player during the show. <laughs> it's so good. Willa, do you have any any? Final burning questions about mixing monitors. This is your chance. Speak now. Oh my goodness. Bring it on. Ah, now the spotlight's on me. What do I do? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, I mean, I, I would love to delve more into the relationship between front of house and monitors, but I don't know if we have time for that. Do we? I guess we can always do a part two sometime. We can always do a part two. <laughs> yeah, that's something I would love to know more about because I uh, oftentimes I'm working by myself. It is extremely rare that I have somebody else on the other side of the snake, whether I'm on I'm on monitors or front of house. So I would love to know more about that relationship. I'll say this briefly, and, and maybe Ashton, you can you know you have have a similar experience, but um, in general, you know I think you know the the front of house engineer can make it really rough on the monitor engineer and, and monitor engineer can make it really rough on the, I mean, I, I'm on comms. I did a big loud metal show recently with, with my buddy and he was, we were switched. He was up front of house this time, large, large format arrays, huge room, uh, really super loud bands on. I think my stage volume was, was louder than front of house. Um, and I was on comm with him the whole time, um, talking about, if he's having trouble controlling something and if something's ringing on my end, that I need to deal with. And if, if he, you know, it's a very, it was very, it was a very intense thing because the whole show was right on the edge. It was just so loud and so messy and just so much stuff bouncing around. And, um, you know, those last couple DB really become a team effort. And, um, you know, if I have something taken off on stage, he can't get rid of it out front. That's not how it works. You know, it's in there now. So, so it's kind of baked in the cake. So yeah, we had, we had a, uh, our own comm channel. We were pretty much, on that thing the whole time. Cause it was just full combat. Cause it was so loud, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't I, fun. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure that sounds awful. Um, I, I always keep front of house. Uh, I've got an, you know, with disturbed anyway, I have an event that, um, 
takes front of house out of their ears, but I still keep that his talk back because uh, I do a matrix um, uh, with the queue and everybody's talk back because all my techs have talk backs and uh, the band guys have talk backs. Um, so that way, and he's got a shout speaker that I have on a AB switch. So I'll press that B switch and go, Brent, brother, you're, you're blowing everybody up up here. <laughs> I don't know what you've changed since soundcheck, but like they're coming at me about this problem. And it's, I just stood on the edge of the deck for a second and it's like a wave. Oh shit. Sorry. I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, really, it's it's a hand-in-hand relationship. Like, whatever you do that initial rehearsal with is kind of how it should feel on stage always. And I always walk the stage, and if it feels like I'm going to get, you know, t- I'm going to get thrown off the stage by the low end, it's going to make the ear experience for your singer or any musician uncomfortable. And they're going to have a harder time hearing their their in-ear mix because they're feeling that in their feet and that is you know moving up their body as well um so it's it's definitely and you know like especially in the club circuit you've got wooden stages you've got you know proper you know like uh metal stage you know construction you've got concrete stages world's your oyster you got packed state you know wooden stages with padding under it or you know theaters the orchestra pits you got subs in front of the stage underneath the stage so it really helps to try and make things consistent on deck if you can and you know having a having a front house mixer that has a little bit of se experience too helps a lot too but you don't always have that so if you can work with your front of house guy or girl or whatever. Hey, you know, turn, turn your subs down a little. Boom. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Or come to, you know, um, compromises. Cause that's really all it comes down to is teamwork. Well, there you have it, everybody. Awesome. (laughs) There you go. Thanks, Ash. Ash, Thank you so much, man. This is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, uh, be sure to check out the the leggings I think they look good on you <laughs> hey it, it's chilly here in Michigan so I just might <laughs>